0: Welcome to Between the Headphones, a Georgia sports podcast. I'm John James, the sports editor at the Red and Black, and your host for this podcast series. Each week, I'll talk to a Red and Black sports reporters to get impulsive UGA athletics straight from the source. This week, I'll be joined by football beat writer Bo Underwood and assistant sports editor Owen Borden. Welcome to the show, Bo. Thank you for having me. We are approximately two weeks out from G Day, and the big question is still unanswered at the moment. So, Bo, who is your favorite candidate in the quarterback room?
1: I have to go with the boring answer, say
0: Carson Beck. Obviously, his
1: big selling point right now is the experience that he has entering his fourth year with the team. And that's just something that has, like, if you look back at every quarterback controversy has had under Kirby Smart, the more experienced guy wins almost every time. Um, Beck, by all accounts, has the best understanding of Mike Bobo's offense right now. And, you know, he's someone who I think they trust to come in and, like, make good decisions with the ball. He has a good arm, good size. He can move around a little bit. So I think he's definitely a favorite for me right now.
0: Do you think that there's anything that sets the other quarterbacks apart from Carson?
1: I think they're all pretty similar. Vandegrift has a cannon, so does Stockton. But I think the re- the-, the Beck has the leg up just because of his experience and how long he's been here.
0: Let's talk about the players they're actually going to be throwing to now. Georgia brought in a lot of receivers during the offseason, both at tight end and at wide out, so who do you think is going to step up and make an impact in their first year to the, with the Bulldogs?
1: My favorite newcomer, I think, in terms of pass catchers is Dominic Lovett. Yeah, He came in after leading Missouri in receiving last year. He had, I think he had six catches or something when they played Georgia. And, you know, from what we can gather from the outside looking in on that practice field, he's made an immediate impact this spring. They rave about him. You know, he's an explosive athlete. He's got a lot of burst off the line, and he just has a knack for getting open and making plays. So I think he's going to be a big-time playmaker in the slot for this team and potentially could put a lot of NFL people on notice this year.
0: The other skill position on the offense, the running back room, has endured a lot of injuries this spring. What is the landscape looking like at the moment, and do you like anyone to really benefit from some increased playing time as a result of those injuries?
1: I like Branson Robinson a lot um, in this situation. You know, if, if Kendall Milton isn't ready to go by the start of the year, if he's still dealing with some setbacks, I think we could see Robinson slide in at that lead back with De- Dejon Edwards as more of, you know, in more of a change of pace role. Robinson is built like a Greek god, and he's a really powerful runner. He finishes runs really well, and he's so physical that, like, he's one of those runners who just kind of gets better as the game progresses because he'll just wear you down. And I think if he's able to refine his skills as a receiver out of the backfield, his role could really make a big jump this year.
0: The other major absence on the team is Michael Williams, who is out for the spring. If that injury stretches into the fall does the defensive line have the talent to survive his absence, or is he a player that the team absolutely needs to have healthy? It, it is
1: really unfortunate to not have him out there. You know, like, he was one of the only freshmen on the team last year who earned consistent playing time, and then after that playoff he had, we were all obviously super excited to see what he could do. The silver lining with his injury is that it's a toe issue, so I would imagine we don't see him lose much of a step in terms of his athleticism whenever he's back on the field. So, yeah, with that injury, other young guys who need to step up on the edge, I think Damon Wilson and Samuel Mpemba could be fun names to watch out for. But, you know, they're both really young, and it'll take some time to figure out this group now that Williams is out for the spring. And the injury to Marvin Jones also complicates things a lot. So we'll have to figure that group out as the spring progresses.
0: You mentioned Marvin Jones, Mpemba, Wilson. Georgia has lost a lot of outside linebackers over the offseason season. Are you expecting any of those names to really step up during G-Day, or are there other outside linebackers to watch for?
1: Yeah, I think that definitely the, the one outside linebacker that people need to have their eye on is Chaz Chambliss. Um, he's the most expensive uh, expensive, experienced guy they have coming back on the outside, and I think they're going to expect a lot out of him this season, not only on the field, but as a leader for a group that just got so much younger so quickly. I think... I think he's the only guy on the only outside linebacker that's even a junior right now. So he's going to be more comfortable with the scheme than ever before this year, and I think he'll be a, a real threat off the edge this year at the outside linebacker. And yeah, we could definitely see some of that come G-Day.
0: Finally, it also seems like there are a few positions in the secondary that might be up for grabs. Do you think that we'll have a definitive answer to any of the defensive back questions coming out of G-Day, or are we going to have a, an offseason full of uncertainty? Yeah,
1: so right now it appears that Kamari Lasseter has a pretty solid hold on that number one corner spot, which makes a lot of sense because last year he played opposite Ringo pretty much the whole year, and he played really well. The other side right now looks like it's between Daylon Everett and Nyland Green, who are both incredible. They're both blue-chip prospects who have been waiting for their shot. I'm personally a pretty big fan of Nylon Green's game. Like He has some of the best ball skills and air instincts that a high school prospect has— that I've ever seen have. Right now, though, I think Everett has had the edge so far this spring, and that's probably what I would expect to see coming out of G-Day. But, yeah, there is a lot of uncertainty there still, as you said. And then at safety, I think Malachi Starks probably has one of those spots locked up. And then filling the hole from Chris Smith, I think, is going to be between Dan Jackson, Tyke Smith, and then Smoke Bowie. And it would probably—I think Jackson would probably be the favorite if he weren't still recovering from that injury— so G-Day will be pretty big to see how Tykey and Smoke both look.
0: Hot take time, Bo. Who are we going to be talking about after G-Day is over? Who's going to turn heads? Who's going to steal the show? Who's going to become the focus of our collective attention as a media outlet? So I think it's pretty obvious the biggest thing people are going to look
1: at is the quarterback room just because, you know, that's what sells. That's, you know, quarterback is the big story for this Georgia team this off season. But aside from that, I think Oscar Delp is going to impress a lot of people, and Dominic Lovett, who I talked about. Like, I think he's going to really impress a lot of people, if not G-Day, then some point this season. And on defense, um, I'm really interested, you know, what we were just talking about, seeing that new group of edge rushers that's really young now, and then the battle for that other spot at outside corner. So, yeah, there are a lot of questions for Georgia that's entering this season about who's going to be stepping up this year, and... G-Day is a pretty important step in figuring all that out.
0: For my two cents, I think that the defensive back battle is going to be super interesting, mm. and I kind of like A.J. Harris mm. to make a few moves on G-Day, break up a few passes, get jump a few routes, turn a few heads, and come out of G-Day looking, looking pretty nice in that cornerback battle. Thanks for coming on the show, Bo. Thank you for having me, John. joined by Owen Warden for a progress support on the baseball team halfway through the regular season. Welcome to the show, Owen. Great to be here, John. We're checking in about 30 games into the year. So far, what has been your
2: biggest takeaway from the team? I don't know if there's one big takeaway, maybe just a word, and that's disappointed. I- I've said it before. This is just, there's a lot of talent on this team, but they can't put it together Jaden Woods, I think, is a great pitcher. I think Liam Sullivan has given this team exactly what they need in previous games. And they've got a lot of young freshmen, and they've got some awesome bats. And yet, the moment they start SEC play, it all fell apart. They'll hit great one game, and they'll hit terribly another. I mean, 4-0 against Vanderbilt, that's a winnable game. You have a your collection of guys come in, and they're able to hold Vanderbilt to four runs, which is awesome. And yet your offense can't do anything that day. That's it's disappointing. It's re- It truly really is disappointing. And 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 there's a reason that bulldog fans are so disappointed on Twitter right now. It's because there should be a certain expectation for this team, and you can't you can't be performing like this when it really matters. Let's get a bit more positive because we will have
0: plenty of time being negative later in the conversation. The team won 8 out of 10 games to start the season. So it was clicking for them in that stretch?
2: Pretty pretty simply put, their bats. I mean, they were putting up double-digit points almost consistently against non-conference opponents, including against teams like Georgia Tech, who at one point were in the top 25. Uh, just a run through, just a few right here. I mean, two 10-run games against Jacksonville State. I mean, 12 runs against Princeton. I mean, 11 runs, 9 runs, including a shutout, 11 runs against Presbyterian College, 16 against Georgia Tech, 17 against Georgia Southern. I mean, they put 18-15 on Charleston Southern. I mean, when you're you're scoring double digits, when you're making scores seem like football games, that's impressive in its own, and that's a lot of the reason they were still winning games, despite also allowing 9 runs when they played Charleston Southern, 11 runs when they played Georgia Southern. You know, it was able, it was, it was it allowed them to get as many wins as they did. But now that they're not scoring as many against SEC competition, starting to c- catch up with them a little bit.
0: Charlie Condon, in particular, has stood out as one of the team's key figures on offense and through the first half of the season. What makes him such an effective player at the plate? I think
2: his consistency. I mean, he had a 24-game hitting streak going into it, and unfortunately that was broken. But he's got a 26-game on-base streak. So even even when you know, he, he hits he hit twenty-four games in a row, and the one game he wasn't able to, he still got on base. I mean, that stat line is historic already. I mean, the fact that he's got plenty of power to to launch it deep. He's hit every single base, he's gotten triples, doubles, singles, home runs, obviously, this season. It's the wide array of abilities at the plate. His ability as a solid fielder, he's 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 not a net negative. Um, Whether he's in the outfield, whether he's on first base, he's flexible in that that manner. So you can kind of plug him in wherever you need to, designated hitter even. And he's going to be a productive piece for you, even despite just being a redshirt freshman. 100% a, a great player to have on any team. You mentioned
0: that consistency, but Condon can't always be at his best, obviously. When he has an off day, who does Georgia need to step up and fill in that gap?
2: Well, they've they've got a great rotation of hitters, and they're not always on. But I mean, the the mo- the biggest name is Connor Tate. You know, uh, sixth year senior, um, he's been there forever, um, but he's always been consistent. He's part of that one two punch in the lineup, um, or that two three punch if we're being uh, where uh, but those two guys are are at in the lineup. But he's he's a great batter. He's he's got a great bat to him. Not the fastest guy out there, but again he can launch it uh Parks Harbor and Corey Collins have no problem launching it deep getting on base. They none of those guys are at the level of of Charlie but I mean they all do a great job. You know, you can occasionally get something from Fernando Gonzalez. Uh, he can occasionally bring something Ben Anderson, another 60-year guy out there, just another reliable piece. Occasionally you get something from Will David. Um, Mason LaPlante, of course, had an inside-the-park home run, so he'll occasionally bring it. Again, every single bat in the Georgia lineup has the ability to do something really impressive, but they don't always. But if there's anybody that you can really count on, if not for Charlie, Connor Tate for sure.
0: Like you mentioned, Georgia's offense definitely fell off once the conference schedule started, but their bullpen suffered a bit too. What did we learn from Georgia's pitchers? through the first
2: three SEC weekends? It's a little tough because I think we're still learning, um, and there's not a whole lot of concrete there. Again, a lot of disappointment, um, but I do think we saw how talented of a pitcher Jaden Woods really is. South Carolina, opening SEC matchup, 11 strikeouts, tied his career high. Like Again, there's, there's conversations of, is he a starter going forward? Is he more of a reliever? going at the next level, but I think that proved to a lot of people that he is a next-level pitcher, no matter what. Um, If you're able to produce 11 strikeouts against a really good South Carolina team, you've got what it takes. Um, I think Liam Sullivan's just been disappointing. Um, Again, he also had an 11 strikeout game um, earlier in the season against Princeton that came right after Jaden Woods's. but so far in SEC competition, he just hasn't looked great, so they definitely need him to step up. But I also think that they learned a lot that there's some flashes coming from their freshman pitchers. I mean, Matthew Hoskins, Layton Finley, these guys are, are guys that they're flashing a little bit. They've got something to them, and there's something to be excited about there. Maybe not for this season, but going forward, I think if those guys can continue to develop, Georgia might actually have a bit of a rotation. So what can Georgia
0: do to turn around this recent stretch of subpar performances? Is it just more consistency on offense? more consistency from their bullpen, or a bit of both?
2: I think it's a, I think it's a bit of both because uh, when you're so disappointing on both ends, you kind of need things to be picked up. But I also think a lot of it comes down to luck, and I guess timing is the best way to say it. You need to be able to take advantage of opportunities, and I think that's the biggest thing they really need to do is when you do hold Vanderbilt, to only four runs, your offense has to put up nine, like it can against Vanderbilt. We've seen them put up a we we've seen them put up good numbers against SEC competition before, but like the yeah sorry I said nine they scored eight runs against Vanderbilt. They needed that production in game three, but when you're allowing nine runs, when you're allowing sixteen runs, like that consistency is going to be the death of you in an SEC schedule. So. Until you time things better, I guess, and and you're able to have offensive production when the other team's down, you're not going to win games.
0: So then the question becomes, will they take advantage of those four-run opportunities where if the offense comes through, you're right in that game? Georgia has 27 games left this season. Owen, what is their record over the Final 27?
2: You see, I'm never good at this. I'm never great at predicting games. There's a reason that I don't bet, um, mostly because I would lose all of my money. But I think – I don't think I have a proper number for you. I really don't. But I think it's safe to say they probably lose more than they win. I would say – because there's plenty of non-conference opponents in there. Baseball is unique to a lot of other sports where once you get into SEC competition, that's who you're playing throughout. But baseball, you know, they, they interlay a, an occasional um, non-conference opponent in there. So they're def- they'll are they definitely grab a few. They'll definitely take a couple wins against a couple SEC teams. I say they win maybe 10 out of that 27. So they probably go about 10 and 17 over the rest of the season. They'll take a plenty of losses, but they can turn it around. We've seen the talent they've had in the early part of the season. They just need it to all come together, and they can finally you know accomplish something. They need they need that 24 run performance they had against Auburn, but maybe not all in one game. They need to spread that out a little bit, but it's a good team. It's full of talented players. They just need to put it together.
0: We'll stay tuned to see if they can put it all together. Thanks for coming on the show, Alan. Absolutely. Always a pleasure. Thanks for listening to Between the Headphones. I'm John James. You can find more episodes wherever you get your podcasts and in red and black. Com. For even more Georgia sports coverage, visit redandblack.com sports. We'll tee it up between the headphones again next week.